Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode two of the show. Uh, Today, I'm going to be bringing you a conversation that I had with Kylie Macbeth. Um, I'm pretty stoked to be able to start to bring you these conversations. And so not just me talking at you for an hour, but actually engaging with people that I think have amazing things to say and who I greatly respect and have learned from. Um, And Uh, Before I talk about her and get into this episode, I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who um, listened to the show, who subscribed, who rated, who reviewed. Um, I really can't tell you like how grateful I am to have the support of all of you who are supporting me at such an early stage in this journey. Um, And for those of you that have not done so, that is listen to episode one and subscribe uh, to the podcast on the podcast app and iTunes and rate it and reviewed. I encourage you to do so. Um, This is how you will help me uh, get the podcast to reach more people. So um, depending on the reviews and stars and ratings and all of that of the show, when people search for things, um, iTunes uh, chooses what to um, promote based on the popularity. So I'm not super popular, but maybe you guys can help me become a little popular. Um, and so, uh, for everyone that did that so far, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, if you liked episode one, if you listen to this episode and enjoy it, um, I encourage you to just hit the subscribe button and leave a review and some stars and that will help more than, you know, um, I also want to give a special shout out to Pat and Adrian for becoming my two first patrons on Patreon. Um, Thank you guys so much for starting us off on the right foot. Um, I am very grateful to have your support. uh, I did talk about Patreon a little bit on the last episode, but just as a reminder, um, I am obsessed with Patreon. It is a way that we all can... um, both in a monetary sense and an energetic sense, support the work um, and people that are doing things that we like in the world. So anything from art to music to podcasting to um, any sort of creation, uh, so many people now are creating Patreon accounts and it allows you, uh, their fan base um, and supporters, to take an active role in what it is that they're creating. So... um, I support a lot of people that I love and hope that you will check out my Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash Anya Cates, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. And for a small monthly donation, you uh, basically get access to a whole bunch of perks. So not only does your 
Um, your donation helped me just do the regular stuff that's, uh, required of me with this podcast. So everything from the time that I spend recording everything to the equipment costs, to the travel, to finding the people to interview, to editing the show, to uploading it, um, doing all the promotion around it. So obviously that, uh, takes time and money. Um, and as I mentioned before, I'm not going to be having ads on this show. You know, I've done that before <laughs> and, uh, promoting products. And I, and I just don't want to do it anymore. It feels really unauthentic and weird to me. So because of that, that means that this is kind of like public radio and I need you guys to help me. Um, and that way the only people that I have to answer to are you. Um, and we can have this kind of ongoing dialogue of, you know, you guys supporting me and hopefully me, uh, providing resources that are supportive for you. Um, and so not only does your donation just help keep the show alive in general, but also depending on how much you donate per month, I'm offering all sorts of perks. So you'll get access to monthly solo episodes that I'm doing. Um, one of which I've already recorded. I am giving away free astrology readings. I'm going to be doing monthly horoscopes, um, a weekly column of inspiration called Minerva's Muse. So for those of you that follow me on Instagram, you know that I like to post um, kind of incessantly on my Instagram stories, uh, things that inspire me. So anything from artwork to places I've been to poetry to videos of dance that I enjoy. Um, I really wanted to create a more formalized way of delivering that uh, information to you. And so I thought it would be really cool to do, it's kind of like a zine for those of you that know what that is. Um, I thought it would be really cool to, uh, do a weekly kind of quasi newsletter, although it's not newsletter, it's released through Patreon, um, where I share something to read, something to look at, something to watch, uh, somewhere to go. Um, so that's Minerva's Muse. Um, the first three editions of that are actually already available on Patreon. So, um, if you head over to patreon.com slash Anya Cates, uh, the first one I, I released for free to the public, just so you can get a sense of what that is and if it's something you'd be interested in. Um, but the first three are already up there. And then the other thing, uh, is that I've already released the first solo, uh, podcast that I'm going to be doing. So I hope to do a couple of those per month, but at the, at the moment it's just one. Um, but for the lowest donation of $5, you get access to Minerva's Muse to the solo podcast. Um, and the first one that I recorded is all about my upcoming move to, um, Gunnison, Colorado, which unless something very strange happens between now and fall 2019, um, I should be heading out there around then. And I'm going to be moving into a cabin that is owned by my grandparents and that has been in my life and my family for a really long time. Um, and so I sort of tell the whole story about how that all went down. It's been a really, really weighty theme in, um, and topic, uh, of my life for the past couple months and, uh, talking to my grandparents about it and my family and how we're all going to manage this. And so I tell that whole story and I also kind of just wax poetic about the nature and definition of home and community, um, and, and what that means and how we can take an active role and become an active participant in defining what that means, especially, you know, given that I think that's just such an important topic in our world right now. Um, so head over to patreon.com slash Anya Cates. You can read more about all of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, if you have any questions, you can always email me, message me, whatever. Um, but I really encourage you to become a patron, um, to, you know, really send an energetic, not just a monetary message, but an energetic message to the universe about the types of things 
that we want to see in our world. And I really can't think of anything cooler than, you know, especially young people supporting other young people and doing amazing work. Um, that just gets me all sorts of inspired. So patreon.com slash Anya Cates, head over there. Um, the last thing I want to say before I get into this episode is I just want to thank my brother, Mika. Um, his music is the music that you hear in the intro to the show. Um, I uh, actually had recorded the intro prior in a different way with like just stock music that I found online. Um, but I, it was really kind of meaningless, you know, lacking in meaning for me. And I'm, I'm really about being very intentional and, and having meaning behind everything. And so, uh, I had spoken to Mika about my dismay around this music and he was a musician in another life and had a folder of um, unused material and uh, thought maybe I could use something in there. And of course, as things normally kind of just work in such a beautiful way, sometimes uh, one of the things that he had in there worked so perfectly. Um, so I wanted to thank him for that. We, He and I had actually discussed doing this podcast or something like it together, um, and I definitely feel that we'll be working together in the future in many different ways. Um, but in the meantime, I am just really happy that he gets to take a little, he's a little part of this project. Um, and so that's his music and uh, his voice that you hear in, in the background of that intro. Um, so thank you, Mika. Um, oh, and the other thing I have to thank him for is Minerva's Muse, because... Uh, he, a couple years ago, sent out a weekly newsletter called The Fritz, which um, I just thought was the coolest thing. And it was the same same kind of idea that he um, sent out things that were inspiring him. And he's no longer sending those emails, but I asked him if, I, if he would give me permission to kind of create something like that and carry the idea on into the future. And he thought that was really cool. So um, thank you, Mika. I love you. You have, even though you are my younger brother, have provided me with quite a good deal of um, inspiration, creative inspiration in my life. So I am very grateful to that, uh, for that. And, um, I also want to thank Emily Davis for, um, the art for the show. So she is the artist that created, um, the show art. And also, um, once my website's out, she took an active role in, in designing a lot of that too. And some of the shirts that I'm offering, going to be offering for sale, but at the moment they're available as Patreon perks. Um, and I just think she did such a wonderful job of really capturing what I was going for. And um, I've gotten a lot of great feedback already about the art. So I um, wanted to shout out to Emily as well. Thank you. Um, and okay, so this episode um, with Kylie, uh, you know, listening back, I... I'm just sort of blown away and grateful by the fact that I get to have these discussions and that I get to share them with you. Um, and I remember so vividly back when I kind of first entered into my dark night of the soul that I was just completely at a loss as to where to go and what to do, um, where I could find support. And I remember it's funny because Kylie and I talk about this on the show, like this moment of, of when we first kind of started the unraveling process. And like, if anyone had a window into our mind, I think she says like, oh yeah, someone would definitely be like, this person is psychotic. Um, and I certainly felt like that too, and did all sorts of weird shit and had all sorts of funny things running around in my mind. But one of the one of the rather embarrassing things I remember doing is going on Google and I think I literally searched like resources for the worst time in your life. Like what am I supposed to read? Where am I supposed to go? Who am I supposed to talk to? I just was so at a loss. Um and I probably could have been a little more strategic in my Google search terms there, but needless to say, they did not turn up any sort of useful, uh, resources. I did of course go on to find amazing resources, uh, and people and community and support, but 
for, for me to think that, um, that this podcast could just be a drop in that bucket of that at some point in some period of time that someone could stumble upon this and that it could be really useful to them in their own process and what they're going through. Um, I'm just blown away by how cool that is. Uh, and that, you know, just a year ago I had this idea and less than a year before that I had started this whole journey for myself and, and here we are. So, um, it's just so, so cool that I get to do that. And I hope that you find these conversations valuable. Um, I chose Kylie to be the first episode because I think, uh, and you will probably see why when you listen, but I think our discussion just really provides a great summary of what this work is really about, especially the internal work. Um, and so we talk about so many different things. We talk about codependency, the mother wound, the link between emotional and physical health. We talk about grief. We talk about what all of that means and uh, in relation to what's going on in the world right now and the responsibility we have with that. Um, so we're going to be delving into all of the topics that Kylie and I discuss and many more in more depth as the podcast goes on. But I thought this was just a really beautiful way to start out and to really show what the beginning of this process really looks like and the meaning behind it and, and, you know, the, um, the, mo the motivation behind why to even go down this path. So I'm super grateful for Kylie for hanging out, for having this discussion. And we talk a lot more about who she is specifically in the work she does and where to find her on the show. So I won't get into that right now, but I do encourage you that, uh, to check out her work, especially if you, enjoy the show. Um, I'm always so, so inspired by fellow young people, fellow millennials doing um, vital, powerful work in this world. So if you like what you hear, please go check her out. Um, and I think that's it. So without further ado, um, please enjoy episode two. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kylie, for coming on the show. It's my absolute honor. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. Um, so for those of you listening, um, Kylie and I actually have a mutual friend, uh, that introduced us who I studied abroad in Amsterdam with many years ago. And when I started going through all of my, uh, trauma, traumatic couple years, um, she said to me, have you ever heard of Kylie? She has this amazing Instagram account called being is beautiful. And pretty much everything you're saying is like what she says. Um, so I've been quietly stalking Kylie for a while, um, and I'm really excited to have her as the first interview because I think the work that we do is um, really similar. So we're going to mm -hmm. talk about a lot of stuff that I normally talk about. It should be fun. Awesome. Um, sweet. <laughs> um, okay. So Kylie, you are health coach, emotional expert. Mm -hmm. You have a company called Zura Health, which you're the co-founder of. Um, you have a podcast, you're a writer, a speaker. Um, and as I mentioned, your Instagram account. Um, and I know that you talk a lot about this journey of people, women coming back home to themselves. Um, and, and you are one of the few people I feel that is kind of willing to take on the breadth of what that means. Um, and so I don't, I also don't know if I've said this on the podcast before now, but I'm also a holistic health coach. I went to IIN. So, um, I come from that world as well. And that's, you know, really recognizing this extent to which my emotional health affected my physical health, potentially way more so than the physical part, um, yeah. was really a key motivator and kind of like a fire under my ass to get this figured out. And I know that you work in a similar space. So I would love to yeah. 
I would love to kind of just hear your journey and like your story and how you ended up where you are. Um, and maybe we could start there. Sounds great. Love that. Love to unpack my personal story, my journey that brought me to this here moment. Uh, so I'm the oldest of four siblings. I was growing, I was born in Las Vegas, Nevada, and I have an identical twin sister and we don't need to get into the twin dynamic. That's a whole different like box of codependency and really unpacking that from the experience of that. But I lived a, a pretty, I would say modern suburban life. I played soccer. I went to school and I was kind of on that the path that we're all subscribed at a very young age. You just graduate from high school, you go to university, you get married, you buy the house, you get the dog and then you have the kids. And I did all of that up until uh, my second year of marriage. And in that second year of marriage, well, actually, yeah, after that first anniversary, I started to notice these feelings of disconnection and what felt like depression, like numbness of, of really losing my sense of self, like completely, like didn't even have thoughts to form. Didn't, didn't necessarily have a voice at all. I just was like, I'm just going to stay silent because I was so fragile that if anybody poked me or if anybody said anything that I would just collapse because I, I had no internal ground to stand on. And so in that process of, of moving further and further away from my truth, which I didn't know it at the time. That's what actually was happening. Um, I fear started to take over everything. So I was like fear-based about everything from the future of my relationship and my marriage to what is my purpose on the planet. And in the kind of intersection of that conversation internally, I decided that divorce was, was the next best, next best option for me because I didn't see uh, a future or a way through. And, uh, there's some layers there, but, um, to make a long story short, me and my ex-husband decided to get divorced. And it was, I also, I call that a moment of my life, the emotional black hole. And it was the catalyst to make me feel all of the stuff I have never felt for the last, for the first 20 something years of my life. I was completely disconnected and unaware of my emotional emotionality, like disconnected from my body. I was kind of a high achiever, perfectionist, straight A student, really never had a problem in school. And, and so in that process, I made a commitment to myself to not run away from what was coming up. I said to myself, if I do not do this work and feel all of the pain and make it mean something, I will be stuck here in this shame spiral, emotional black hole for the rest of my life. And I knew that, but I also knew something else. I knew there was a bigger reason. And that's why I always ask women who are going through divorce or going through some challenging transition is like, but do you also know that there's a bigger purpose here? Cause I actually think the, the understanding of there's so much more here. There's something else on the other side of this is really such a beautiful catalyst for us to to go through the pain, to feel all of the unheard and unprocessed emotional shit we've all been shoving under the rug for our whole lives because there was no space for that part of us. So we shut it down. And since then, going through that, gosh, now it's been five years almost, that five-year journey of really coming back home to my body. What does it mean to be in my body? 
coming back home to my emotions. What does it even mean to have emotions? Like reclaiming my anger. That has been probably one of the number one things I've been working on this year alone of allowing myself to have this healthy connection to healthy anger. So healthy anger being, I can still be, have anger, which is the protection of our boundaries and also be vulnerable. So it comes from a heart open space. Like I'm also vulnerable and angry at the same time. And this is what allows me to protect myself. Uh, and then really just coming back to my truth and allowing myself to express that truth. So reclaiming my voice and really stepping into my purpose on the planet, which is really supporting women and coming back home to their bodies, their emotions, to their truth, to their sexuality, sensuality, femininity, and all that goodness so that we can live lives that are fulfilling and aligned and that make a shift in the direction that we really want this planet to go right now. So amazing. So much to unpack and I know, basically, a lot. <laughs> and basically we're the same person. So there's that. Um, yeah. So I, I would love to touch a little bit more on, you know, that feeling. Cause I talk about this too, that feeling that I had when I started going through this process and I even had like parents, a parent, people telling me like, that, you know, the whole thing, get over it. Okay. It's time to move on time to live a new life. Like nobody suffers like this, et cetera, et cetera. And I hear that feedback from people too, that people, right. It's, I mean, of course, a projection, these people are not comfortable in holding space for the breadth of someone's emotions. Um, but I would love to hear what your advice would be, you know, for me, like, what did you, what faith were you able to touch base with during that time? And, and where did that come from? And what did that look like? Like for me, I think when I got an astrology reading, it was like, okay, I'm going to believe in the stars. Like there's the higher Mm -hmm. meaning. I get it. So I would love for you to speak about that fear and that faith, um, and kind of how those work together. Absolutely. And really what a lovely question. I think it's such an imperative one, especially in these transitions. I was laying in, so the day after I decided, me and my ex-husband decided to get divorced, I was laying in my childhood bedroom. And my mind, mind you, was, if, if people had a, a screen into my mind, they would have been like, she's for sure like schizo. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, that's how crazy it was in my mind. And nobody really talks about that mental aspect of when you're in these like deeply, um, fear-based states where it's like almost like you're going to die. That's what it feels like. And so I had all these narratives. You're not going to survive. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. Like your life is over basically. And out of nowhere, this, this, these next seven words dropped in and were like, you created all this because you were afraid in that moment. Wow. Yeah. I still like my stomach. If you were in my body right now, it was just like, I still am so grateful for that moment because that moment changed my whole life. Yeah. And here's why it was the first time I saw outside of my conditioning. It was the first time I saw outside of this created box of fear and was able to see my role in the bigger picture. So actually in that moment, I had faith in my own power again to change it, to play an active participant, role in the creation of what I, what I'm here to do, how I show up, how I relate to every emotion. So because of that moment and my ability to stand outside of my smaller experience and see from a more bird's eye perspective, all of the shit just stopped. 
it was the weirdest experience I've ever had. And I think I, there's this book called Romancing the Shadow by Dr. Connie Zig or something. And she talks about this experience actually for other people who are going through the dark night of the soul. And it was the first time I read something in a book and I was like, thank God I'm not alone. I like, holy crap. There's other people who have been through this experience. And yeah, it was, it was that knowing that one, I'm not just this small person living alone, disconnected from this bigger picture. There was something deeper that came through in that moment an inner knowing of like, okay, great. Now I can own all of that, reclaim my power by feeling all of this grief and feeling all of the pain I've not felt and really reclaim my responsibility to show up and create the life that I do want. So after that, what was necessary in my healing journey was to take a big step back from everybody in my life. A huge step. I was, I was so influenced by my parents' desires for my life that I didn't know who I was. I would listen to my dad, God bless him. Great guy over myself. Like he knew my life better than I knew my life. And that's a really, uh, a sad place to live when you have to look outside of you for all of your answers, when you're the only one who lives in your skin and knows what's best for you. So I made a commitment because, well, first, first my dad said to me, if you keep running from everything in your life, you'll never be happy. You know, nuggets of wisdom here and there. And I was like, Oh shit, I have been running away from everything inside of me for the last 24 years. And so I said, I'm not leaving this state (laughs) in this place until I've done the work till I know I'm not leaving to escape something until I'm fully choosing it from a place of alignment and expansion. So I did, I stayed, I stayed, you know, in, in deep work. I had a mentor I had a few mentors. I read 200 books and I just surrendered to going through and feeling all of, all of, all of it. I mean, seriously, all of it from the conditioning side of really unpacking who I was and the beliefs I was carrying to just crying (laughs) and grieving and, and being angry and just being so confused and trusting that it wouldn't always be that way. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I certainly had a similar experience and I think it speaks to that whole idea of like to even have and take the space to get quiet enough to hear those voices, you know, and I know I was certainly conditioned that at any, I'm could I like, I couldn't make a decision for my life. It was like, and I would say this to past therapists, like I have no idea what is my decision or what is someone else's decision. Mm -hmm. And I'd had these situations like, you know, some, some, things would come up in my life and I'd have to make a really important decision. And I was like, uh, like I can't hear myself at all. Um, and, and, and I think in what you also spoke about was this, it's an acceptance of responsibility. So I would love to dive into that a little bit because certainly one of the initial reactions that we have when dealing with a circumcise circumstance like this, especially if it involves a partner or any type of person we have a relationship with that, like how to, um, accept responsibility without, while knowing that you don't have to take the blame for it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Can you speak to that at all? Kind of like the difference between those and how we can both move forward in our own power while simultaneously realizing that while we were apart, like even if we didn't create the problem ourselves, right? Mm. How do we move through that? Oh, what a fabulous question. Nobody's ever asked me that in that context. Uh, Responsibility is owning how you showed up and your side of the street. It's not taking on the responsibility for the whole, whole situation, but owning your part of the pie, right? You're 100% or you're 50% of the 100%. Uh, but what's interesting is sometimes we get stuck in the blame and we self-direct that internally and it becomes the very reason we stay small. It's almost like it becomes a tool we use to oppress ourselves because and feeds into the story of I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy of actually moving through this, um, and, and reclaiming my voice and standing up for what I now know to be true. I, I went through a personal experience with that where, uh, cause I put a lot of blame of, of the divorce of the relationship on, on my own shoulders. And because of that, I was not actually, it was actually a protective mechanism to keep me safe from opening my heart again, from speaking my truth, from really stepping outside of that old version of me and into the newer, more self-aware, deeply connected version of me. And that's a process. Uh, it takes a lot of self-forgiveness. And because when you take responsibility, basically, that's why most people don't. is because there's so much shame present. And so it's so much easier to blame or to blame ourselves and stay stuck in the shame, which is just toxic shame, which keeps us small and keeps us our own oppressor. So the journey into that is one, having compassion and grace for every single part of you that didn't know what you know now today back then. So forgiving that part of you, integrating that part back into your heart and saying, you know, you didn't know everything back then. You, you were doing the best you could, but now it's time to move forward. Yeah. And in doing that, that gives you the space to take full responsibility. So there's a lot of grief in there, actually. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of emotions that'll come up in that process, but it's necessary for us to take responsibility. Totally. Yeah. The grief, I mean, for me, and this is something I'm going to talk a lot about and I've talked a lot about already. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a similar experience of like having this uh, experience and then reading a book to confirm it. it was like, yes, I'm not. But just right, like in the processing of emotion. There is so much power there. I mean, and talk about like some sort of like key to enlightenment. I mean, it's just like the, the, the knowledge bombs that get dropped into your head simply for feeling feelings is pretty mm-hmm. astonishing to me. And to really like encourage more people to do that because I do think it kind of cracks us open to like, oh my God, like I'm a part of the world. And so my healing is the world's healing and everyone else's healing. And um, that is such an important process too. So Yeah. And the taking responsibility, let's talk a little bit about more of that codependency and walking Mm -hmm. away from people. Because I know for me, that was one of the most traumatic experiences was not only that I was going to have to go through this process, but that I was, at least in terms of who I was surrounding myself with with at the time, that I was going to have to separate myself from the only people that I ever kind of reached out to for support. Um, 
And there's this like Melody Beattie Creek quote, which I'm sure you know about how you uh, can't set a boundary and take care of a person's feelings at the same time. Hmm. Um, and it's like, that's, that's, I think, super powerful. And so how, and I remember, and maybe you can talk um, to this as well. Like, I remember asking myself the question, am I just cutting people out because I don't want to deal? You know, I don't want to be challenged or it, or what, or is what they're doing? What are the, what these people are doing to be in challenging me in this way, not healthy and toxic. And like, how do I tell the difference? And is it normal to have to literally cut out like the vast majority of your healthy, Mm -hmm. of your close relationships? Yeah. For me, I didn't cut everybody out. It wasn't like everybody's gone. It was anybody that felt like a safe space and who could show up and support me in that way could stay. But I still needed a lot of space. Like we were talking about earlier is like this permission slip to just be, to be with all of the emotions and to feel was, was was actually the most important thing for my mental, emotional, spiritual, and physical health without committing to that space and really reconnecting with every single part of me and being with all of that. It, I would not have been able to one find myself probably because I would have leaned on other people. And then I probably would have dropped into the next relationship. Cause that was usually my pattern. Just go from one to the next. And I actually started to do that in the process of divorce. I jumped into one and I was like, Oh, you're repeating the very same pattern. Are you aware of that? That you're going to avoid all of this by focusing your energy on something outside of you. And so that became a non-negotiable. You will not enter a relationship until you've done the work, until you've met yourself, until you felt all of this pain and grieved. So taking a you know, my partner calls it a dong detox or a vagina vacation is imperative actually in the grieving process. And you know, some people are like, get over the last one by getting, that is, that is the most (laughs) unfortunate advice I've ever heard, especially if it's uh, a connection as such as the one I had in my marriage. And it's something that I look back on now and I'm like, wow, I really honored the connection and relationship we had because of I committed to doing the work and not repeating the same patterns I was already repeat that I had just created in the past relationship. And I was like, I'm not going back to sleep. That's basically what it came down to. And so codependency was a way for me to stay asleep, to stay disconnected from my truth, to not go come back home and to integrate all the parts of me that were coming up to be witnessed, to be felt, to be acknowledged And the codependency journey is actually a very interesting one for me personally. And this, because there's so much there in what was modeled from a family system perspective between my mom and dad and their relationship. And then you start looking up the family line and you're like, wow, all the women played this role and they were hundred percent dependent on the male for survival. Right? So even coming out of university, my number one concern was to get a relationship, to get married, because I actually didn't believe in my ability to create it on my own. I didn't have a self-worth that was high enough where I was like, I can stand on my own two feet. I can create and, and, 
and have what it is that I truly desire because I'm capable of doing it. It was, no, I need somebody else. And that was what was familiar. So I realized that coming out of my marriage that I put a lot of my responsibility and my happiness on my partner. It was like, hey, you need to check all of these boxes because I am empty if you don't. And it's your fault that I feel this way. And it was like, wait a second. How much power do you have in that situation to cultivate your own well-being? None. When everything is dependent on something outside of you. And so coming back home into one, your emotionality, of course, is important and really understanding what feels good, what doesn't feel good, what are my non-negotiables, what are my boundaries so that I can set effective boundaries and maintain an individuality and, and maintain individuality so I can create interdependency in my next relationship instead of codependency where you're feeling a whole and I'm feeling something for you. Yeah. And let's talk about codependency. I just love talking about it because it's such an umbrella term and everyone has their own little unique take on what it is. So okay. how, when you're asked to define it, how do you talk about it? I would love to hear your, your take. Codependency to me is where the, the relationship becomes more important than your truth and your honest and self fully self-expressed life. It's where we preserve something just in order to stay there instead of acknowledging and inviting all of us to be seen. So it's, it's still almost kind of recreating in a way it's creating this dynamic. And I always say like enmeshment or this process of codependency is when we haven't integrated the, the inner parts of our inner child into back into our hearts, because we had meshed with the previous version where it's like, I need you for survival, right? Because I haven't reclaimed that part of me stood up for myself and felt what it feels like to be in a relationship that is based off of truth. That's based off of self-expression, like fully self-expressing yourself. That's a kind of, that's, from a, from a relationship standpoint, that type of relationship is still being birthed onto this planet because the power dynamic is shifting drastically right now in relationships, heteronormative um, relationships yeah. it, of women reclaiming their power and then creating a interdependent relationship based off of uh, mutual respect and equality is fairly new because it brings up so much of our old stuff and insecurities and our attachment wounds. Yeah. And so working through all of that is the way through codependency and into more interdependent, honest and whole relationships. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and the inner child, it's like, it just takes that full circle, right? This idea of codependence that, this whole process really is about us becoming adults. And I think we're, you know, <laughs> we think we are, <laughs> we think we're adults and we think we're making conscious uh, adult choices, but we are still just small children trapped in adult bodies. And so the codependence is coming out of the fact that we were of course dependent on others when we yeah. were kids. Right. Absolutely. And we, 
we've never been taught and certainly cultured. I mean, culturally, like that's the worst part to me is that mm. regardless of your inner circle, it's like, you've got society and you've got Tinder and you've got just like every movie, like it's, like, it's just a freaking codependency festival. Um, and so, yeah. And, and that's, I think part of the taking responsibility, right. And being like, and that's not painful. That's actually really empowering to be like, Oh my God, like I'm just a small kid. And I really need to get back in touch with that because I'm looking for the same types of things mm-hmm. that I was looking for as a child. Um, so I, I, I think that's just so important to like recognize that whole mm-hmm. cycle and that whole process that like, and also not, um, faulting ourselves. Right. Like I would love for you to talk about that shame too, because mm-hmm. I, how do we rationalize that whole thing around like I've made and I'm continuing to make, right? Because this is a lifelong process and we're not going to be perfect. You don't just switch, like snap your fingers and all of a sudden you're like not codependent and emotionally like (laughs) mature. No. So how do you work with yourself and with others on when we're aware, but still conscious, uh, conscious, but making unhealthy choices? Yeah. So I love this dynamic between the inner child, inner critic and inner mother, inner protective mother, especially when I'm working with women. Uh, the inner critic is the composite of any toxic shame that is, have, has ever come towards you in your whole life from birth to now. And so that voice or voices becomes your internal representation of any toxic energy that has ever come towards you. So whether that's mom, dad, coach, teacher, friends, et cetera, becomes this inner critic. And then you have the inner child. So these are all the previous versions of you that, that exists still within you. And then you have the protective and nurturing mother. Currently in our society, we haven't done a lot of work yet on upgrading and creating a internal composite of an internal mother that is supportive and nurturing and loving and protective. We, until we do this work, have a composite of our real mother in our psyche. And so what becomes a part of this growing up process for me is, and with the clients I work with, is really getting in touch with the understanding where the inner critic shows up, what the common themes are, and teasing out these voices, like noticing, oh, that's my inner critic. So naming it, but then also understanding that if it's an external trigger or an internal trigger from the inner critic, what happens to the inner child? Do we already fuse with the inner child and respond in a way that we've always responded? So maybe it's to shut down. Maybe it's to throw a tantrum. Maybe it's to get defensive. So we would revert back to an earlier coping strategy based off of what we learn and what we've developed over the years. But this is where our work comes in is where's the protective and nurturing mother. That's the adult woman in you. So that's us now right? And so in those moments, I need to hit pause. I need to turn towards, and I need to really understand this dynamic between the inner critic and the inner child. And then I need to say, all right, hold up right there. You're not going to talk to me like that anymore. You're not going to, you're not going to continually beat me up. And so then you turn towards the inner child. How old I feel right now? Seven. Okay. What emotions am I having right now? Maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's anger. Okay. What do you need in order to feel safe right now? And then really creating a dialogue between the inner protective mother and your inner child and soothing that part of you and recalibrating and reintegrating that part of you back into your heart 
instead of just staying on the same cycle, which is, oh, toxic shame, shut down, reverse back into a previous coping strategy. And that's why this takes so much conscious awareness and commitment to, to the, the moments in your life where you are triggered. It's like every single time I'm triggered, okay, get curious. Okay, what is this situation asking of me right now? Do I need to turn towards? Soothe, of course, hit the pause button, name. So name the story, connect to it. So emotionally, how am I feeling? And then choose. And this is where responsibility and choice comes in. What step would I choose if I was in alignment with my highest and best good? If I believed I was worthy, what would I do? How could I create a new story? Because I can repeat the pattern over and over until I choose a different way of handling it. And so for me, a lot of that, a lot of the times it's choosing to have a conversation with whoever potentially has triggered me across the boundary or is causing me um, frustration. And sometimes that's an invitation for me professionally and personally is to stop playing small and just to start moving towards what scares me because that's where liberation lives for me now. Yeah. I love that. I always, I always talk even about the word trigger that it's like, it's a trigger. It's triggering something, right? Like there's a purpose to it. And I, Mm -hmm. that's the other cultural thing that drives me crazy is this idea that like, Oh, if it upsets upsets me, I need to run the other direction. Like you need to protect me and I'm not going to take on responsibility for why it is that I'm getting so quote unquote Mm -hmm. triggered right now. Um, and I think that process like just goes back to the grief too, because this idea that when we make that realization or have that recognition that there is a trigger, I'm reacting or I'm, I'm sending myself some sort of internalized message about what's going on right now, that when we have to change the story and we have to become our own inner mother and mother ourselves and comfort ourselves, that there's like the grief of the fact that we didn't learn how to do that. And that maybe we weren't given that. Um, And so maybe that's a good segue to talk a little bit about the mother wound in general. Um, Yeah. uh, That is such a whole other topic that could be a whole episode unto itself, but I know you're talking about it a bit more. So I would love to hear your take on that, both from like a personal and and cultural perspective. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I look at it almost as in three layers. So the first layer being the patriarchal and oppressive system we all live in and being born as a woman into that system already puts this, we don't feel like we belong here. This wasn't built for us. And so that's, that's the first layer. The second layer is this mother wound. So this is the pain of being a woman in a patriarchal system where we have been oppressed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the mother wound is this transmission of these coping strategies and the pain from mother to daughter, from daughter to, you know, to all of our children. So it's the mother wound includes pain of like comparison, not feeling good enough. Uh, shame. There's, there's this consistent background noise that there's something wrong with you. Um, and there's, there's like this element of guilt, which actually keeps us also oppressed for feeling guilty for wanting more than what we currently have. And for me, when I started to realize about the mother wound, it was actually in a conversation about money personally, where I was wondering why I kept sabotaging my ability to create income. And I was like, why am I doing this? I was getting so frustrated. And then I was doing this worksheet and then asked me the question of 
how, what was your mom's relationship to money and her ability to create income in your family? And how has, and how are you playing a similar, similar role? And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I actually, (laughs) it was so interesting because I grew up with this notion. You know, I just want to take a step back. These patterns are so subtle. The mother wound and how that impacts us as women. And, you know, it does impact men too. They're not out of this conversation, but how it impacts us and how it subtly shapes the lens in which we view ourselves in the world is mind boggling. But there is so much liberation in this conversation for women and mothers and up the line for like your mother's mother, 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 mother. Like that's how far this goes. It's not just your mom. It's her mom. It's and it, and it just keeps continuing. So I had, I, I was like, Oh, I need to learn about this because apparently this is impact. This is showing up in more ways than I was ever aware of. Of course, you know, it's just another layer. And, uh, what I realized was, is my inability to create financial security for myself was a way to stay safe and to stay small in my current relationship. My voice was repressed because I wasn't the one making the money to make the decisions. Like, because that's what I was always, that's what I, I always witnessed in my life. And then I was like, Oh wait, there's this other element of if I play small, then I help my mom from avoiding the pain of not living her life. If I continually play small, then I won't disrupt her and make her feel bad or feel her own pain of not living in alignment with her truth. And so that was like, Oh gosh, I've done that for so long. I tried to protect my mom from feeling her own pain. So I started to carry and all women do carry the pain of their mothers and they're in the same way we cope with things and stay small. And there's also this element of fear of if I stand in my true power, I'll be abandoned. If I stand in my true power, then I will lose my partner. I will lose the relationship I have with my mom because usually when that's triggered in a mother, the daughter is the one who gets to feel the wrath of that because if the mom is unconscious of this wound in herself, then she wants to either disconnect from the daughter or shut the daughter down. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, I mean, I can't really name more of a challenging process for me, I think, than this, Mm -hmm. this sort of parallel journey of like taking responsibility, feeling my anger, being, you know, also feeling forgiveness and then talking about the ancestral generational thing. It's like, of course we think of, we have to think about the situations in which our mothers grew mm-hmm. up as well. Right. Yeah. And it's like it's just being passed on and passed on. And it speaks so much to, again, you know, if there's any reason to take responsibility for it, it is simply just to break the cycle you know, like, yes. <laughs> um, and well, it goes back to the growing up of the inner child, right? Yeah. We're still looking for mom's acceptance. We're still looking for mom's love or that child is still craving that. And so we're unwilling to actualize our full potential because it may risk further rejection from our mother, which is a deep, deep wound. Yeah. And so <laughs> that inner mother dynamic of really creating the self-nurturing 
and the space to be with all those parts of you so that you can grieve and grow up. Cause re- grief is really just the process of growing up. I yeah. think personally. Yeah. And letting go of the childhood you wanted and letting go of any other expectation that you thought you should have had, but you didn't have. And it's like, okay, how are we going to move forward and break the cycle? Right. Yeah. I mean, and even the fact that like, I know when I first started talking about grief, that there was such mm-hmm. a taboo around me talking about like grieving a mom I never had, you know, grieving a person that's still alive. And like, you know, God forbid I said that in the presence of someone whose mom wasn't physically living, you know, and there's, I was just uh, on someone else's podcast yesterday and she was talking about her own PTSD around after something that happened when she gave birth and someone kind of chimed in on a comment and said, you know, I really don't like that, that word PTSD or trauma or grief is being used so commonly now because it takes away from my real PTSD experience. Mm. (laughs) Um, Her pain is more. Yeah. Right. So this, and, and that's true. And I think that was such a, I'm sure for you as well, like that was such a hindrance to my own journey of healing because I, on the outside, it was like, oh yeah, well, I like lived a middle-class life and I went on vacation and I had, and it's like how, you know, how to redefine, like, that's a big part of my vision. And I think a lot of stuff I, you know, I hear you talk about too. It's like, we really need to learn how to redefine and look at trauma differently because Mm. trauma is not just, um, you know, the death of someone. It's not just sexual abuse. It's not just physical abuse there. It's, it's a lot. Um, so, you know, small T trauma and big T trauma. Yeah. I like that distinction. Yeah. Big T trauma being loss of, loss of somebody, uh, going to prison. Like those are big T traumas, uh, abuse, physical, like emotional, sexual. Those are big T traumas. Small T traumas are much, much smaller and much more subtler. And that's just the rejection from mom. That's just the put down or, um, the losing a job or, divorces I can think consider a small T trauma and I'm like, Oh, that's kind of a big T trauma, but, um, they're just the much more subtle emotional traumas that we experience day in and day out as part of this human experience. And they, they over time add up to big T traumas in in the emotional armor we put up around ourselves in order to protect ourselves from, from feeling. Right. I mean, it's, it's astonishing to me and same when I started this process, Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't even know what emotional, abuse was like yeah. that was just like no <laughs> um let's let's talk about that a little bit like I mean I don't even know how to talk about examples but this whole mm-hmm. right that we think about abuse a lot as some sort of physical manifestation but how can it be how can it happen emotionally and I guess ooh, for me it's like you know the the first thing that I realized was in my own pain dealing with this. I was not in my childhood bedroom, but I was in my mother's house and had a similar (laughs) awakening moments. But, you know, for her, I remember in that moment that she was, you know, she had offered to let me come into our home. She was like buying me groceries. There was all this stuff that absolutely spoke to like, this is a mom who's taking care of me, but there was a huge emotional void that I couldn't even put my finger on at first. It just didn't make any sense to me that like when I was crying and I went to her, I didn't feel better afterward. I just felt worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so how, you know, what to do in those situations, I think for people to like, when someone goes to a parent, especially, or a partner, 
for yeah. support, especially during this process, and they're not getting it, and they're not getting it, that in and of itself is traumatic. Rewounding, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The same the same wound from probably originally in childhood is being re-triggered in those experiences. So it, if you're not being met emotionally, because that's what I'm hearing, there's, there's a lack of emotional attunement to what's actually happening and ability to soothe your emotional pain. And sometimes you're right, our partners and our parents especially aren't capable of giving us that type of emotional support. So going outside of that dynamic, if you're not being met in that way, is actually probably the most supportive thing you can do for your emotional well-being is finding people who are trained and are emotionally attuned and capable of holding space to acknowledge and witness your emotionality. There's so much healing in being witnessed and just having a safe space to be heard. And most of us would like our parents to be those people because we've been craving that for a long time. But if our parents haven't done the work and, you know, haven't met those parts of themselves, it's very hard to be with somebody else's emotions when you haven't been with your own. And that's just the truth of it. And so let's not create more internal pain and suffering, trying to get them to do something they're not capable of doing and just find people who are safe, who can meet us and who can witness those parts of us. I want to take a step back. Mothers is, I, I, I truly think mothers have one of the hardest roles on the planet. And there's so much pressure to be this perfect, ideal woman, mother, wife, girlfriend, uh, blank slate. And it causes so much of that internal suppression, repression, and, and emotional chaos is because we're constantly striving to meet this external ideal of what society says mothers should be that we're disconnected from the whole of who we are. And I don't know. I just wanted to like back up because I feel like this conversation sometimes can be so shaming to moms. And it's like, Oh my gosh, no, that's not at all what we're trying to do here. We're trying to create a safe space to talk about the actual challenging uh, aspect of becoming a mom and having to release your desires for the most part in the past to raise children. That was your only role that you were allowed to have. And so, yeah, just so much grace and compassion, but also like, Hey, right. That level. Yeah, no, it is. It both are so necessary. I mean, because mm-hmm. I think also like the forgiveness that we're able to give other people is reflective of the forgiveness that we're able to give ourselves mm-hmm. too. And so like understanding contextually what's going on. And I think to recognize that like, it's also okay. It's okay to be angry, take space, cut contact, all of these things, if that's what you feel you need to do. And it also doesn't mean that that's where you stay. Like things change, things evolve. Like certainly the place that I was in a couple of years ago versus now is a wildly different place, you know, Mm -hmm. and these things do evolve. Um, But yeah, and I talk about that. I think that's almost maybe more or at least in the moment felt feels more traumatizing the actual, than the actual trauma is for someone to tell you that what you're feeling is invalid. And I think, I mean, that is the mother wound, I think partially too, is like, not only are we not able to feel valid in our own pain, but then we were like, we're told that the pain wasn't even there to begin with, or that the pain isn't valid. Um, Completely re-traumatizing. And then you have to start looking at privilege and power and a much bigger conversation here with why 
why we aren't turning towards the truth of, of living in alignment with our hearts. I know I have clients who have been through severe abuse and in, you know, the current state of the political scene in here in America, and I hate to go there, but their parents are still choosing something that devalidates their whole experience. And that is re-traumatizing for a child. And for, for any human who has experienced abuse where it's, there's still this lack of acknowledgement of what really happened. And that my heart breaks when I hear stories like that, because I'm like, I get so angry because I'm like, how is that possible? Why do some people refuse to feel into the truth and to the hearts of other women, especially for, for something else? And I don't want to get into that too far, but just really curious about that. I'm just like, how is that? But then how is that been, you know, going back to codependency? You know, we have to because we don't believe we're capable of standing on our own two feet. So we just have to go with what what feels safe right now. And no shame there either. But it's just when we can step outside of it and see it for what it is, you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But when you're in it, it's a much different different traumatic experience for children of and people, yeah. all all of them. Yeah, totally. It reminds me a lot of I'm sure you know uh Dr. Gabor Mate, his work. Yeah. Um especially with childhood trauma, like those, just finding his YouTube videos was like one of the most amazing light bulb moments for me. But he talks about this all the time. He's like, I have stood in front of thousands of medical doctors and presented extensive research around the harm that big T, small T trauma, all of that stuff does. And I, I'm looked at with like blank stares because there's nothing to do with that information other than turn inward and to start thinking about like, oh my God, wait, how was I traumatized? Oh my gosh, how did I may have may have traumatized my own children? You know, it is. And and that's that's the scary part, is is I mean, it really is all about taking that responsibility. And I hope that our generation maybe more so than others is more willing to do that because it's like, what choice do we have? We were chatting before we started recording and just like, yeah. okay, the world's ending. Like, what are we going to do? Maybe it's right. time to grieve. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a part of taking responsibility. You actually experience grief when you do take responsibility. And mm-hmm. uh, one of my mentors, I forgot what he says, but grief is grieving is the process of growing up and guilt is the process of staying you know, in a childlike state, I can't do anything because no. And it's like, no, you actually can. And you're being invited to, and you're right. It is, it is dropping into the unknown. It is cultivating a whole new language with like, I I was emotionally illiterate until five years ago. Like my partner, how are you feeling? Just automatically like, (laughs) like almost like a champagne bottle. I had all these emotions rising up, but I didn't have the language to communicate and bring, you know, what was down here into, I didn't have the language in my mind to understand what was happening in my body. And so that has been a process of really just finding the language and finding the tools to be able to communicate effectively my internal world to my external world so that I can feel really safe and supported. That embodied sense of safety is the ability to communicate effectively and have really healthy boundaries so that you do feel safe and so that you can integrate those parts of you from the previous, like previous versions of you, the inner child into right now and being like, Hey, I got you. We're safe. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit because I want to talk a little bit about health, like physical health and that tie into that. And I think, and I, you know, this, I, it's funny when I first became a health coach before Mm -hmm. any of this unraveled for me, I was very clear that I wanted to deal with, you know, the non-food, non-physical aspects of health and how that played in. And then I got really just sort of like caught up with like having a blog and making a business. And I was just like posting muffin recipes all day long. And I was like, wait a second. And then this happened. And then it was just very clearly like, I don't want to talk about that almost at all anymore. It was this like crazy shift from and because I recognized it myself that I could be on the same protocol, be doing the same routine in terms of my health and I could be severely ill or extremely healthy. Um, and it had to be completely based on like my stress and anxiety and physical health. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I know that's a big part of your business now is mm-hmm. to kind of join those worlds together. So I would just love to hear your thoughts on, um, or your journey and how you created that and then how you work with women now across those two fields. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, my twin sister and I, who are both graduated from IN and she's, she's definitely, now she's a functional nutritionist, more focusing on, on the systems related to, uh, food and in the body, but we created Zura Health, uh, four and a half years ago. And Zura means hero in Sanskrit. So basically it is the hero's journey. It's, it's taking responsibility. It's, it's coming back home to all the the various parts of ourselves so that we can feel connected and, and powerful in our abilities to create the life we truly want. Uh, I started on a similar path to you. It was all food. Food is actually what woke me up to be honest with you. Like I started eating healthy and I was like, Oh my gosh, why? (laughs) Like increasingly my mind started to expand. And I was like, wow, this is such a different experience. And my body started, I started to become more aware of my emotions. And so it was just a natural, I think it was just a natural first step. And I think it is for a lot of people is reclaiming uh, our relationship to food and really the messaging that sends to ourselves and every single part of us is, oh, I am worthy. Oh, I am valuable. Oh, it does matter what I feed myself. Oh, I feel good. Um, so it started with food for me and then you know, definitely, uh, pivoted real fast, uh, after my divorce into why the hell was I never taught about beliefs and emotions? I was so angry. I was like, and I grew up in a family of doctors. My father's a surgeon. My grandfather's a doctor. Like I went to med, I went to pre-med, like I was going down that path and I was really shocked that nobody had ever talked about what it means to feel what emotions are, how to communicate our emotions, how to process our emotions, and also the belief systems that are really running our lives on autopilot. I was running on autopilot until I woke up in the middle of that divorce. So for me, wellness is all about integrity and integrity between our mind, body, heart, and soul. And so it's not just the physical component of moving or eating well. It's how is my mind and how is my emotional well-being? Because I don't care how much kale you eat. If you're out of integrity, you're going to be sick. If you're lying, you're going to be sick. If you're going to be spoon feeding yourself denial, you're going to be sick. Body is giving you information day in and day out. And you know, we're really quick to blame it on something outside of the emotional realm. But really, I find that most of the work I do now is, okay, why is this showing up? What's the deeper 
the deeper layer here, even from a nervous system response, you know, fight or flight, fear, and what type of emotional energy are we holding on our nervous systems? Like setting boundaries. How much better do you feel when you set boundaries and release that pressure off of your nervous system? A hundred thousand times better. How much better do you feel when you turn towards and have the conversation that you're anxious of having? A thousand times better. Right? And so it's like really looking at how all of these parts play a role in our overall well-being. That has been such a beautiful journey and a never-ending one. You know, the Zero Health program is a 16-week program and it's completely updated every week. Because it's like there's new, there's new tools. There's something, there's a deeper layer of awareness here. So how can we shift this and really give other women not only just the, the food nutrition aspect, but really more importantly, the emotional tools to be able to communicate, have boundaries, create an embodied sense of safety to relax our nervous systems so that we're not always in this fight, flight, freeze mode. And so that we can think more effectively and really create embodiment so that we can feel and to like creativity and pleasure and play and, and really allowing ourselves to be in the feminine again. I think we've really disconnected from that recently because we've been told that we have to become like men in order to survive and make it in this world, which many of us have had to, but it's how do we reconnect both of those parts internally so that we can create a more, I think, stable, stable foundation internally. Yeah. And it really is not that hard to, to make the link even physically between like emotions and physical health. Like there's like a couple of things I always say, mm-hmm. one of them in astrology, like we talk about emotion is water often symbolized mm-hmm. by water. And if you think about stagnant water, right? If water doesn't move, what happens? Like it becomes disgusting and smelly and like full of bacteria. Um, and then you go even farther. Uh, mm-hmm. And I was talking about this yesterday with someone that like tears have hormones in them, right? So mm-hmm. it's like this whole process. If you start, once you, you know, read the 200 books, which like I definitely did too, once you mm-hmm. educate yourself, once you really make a commitment to recognizing yeah where these things are coming from, it's becomes really shockingly easy to recognize how connected they all are. Absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah. And the element of when you were just talking, what came up for me was like the shadow is all the parts of us that we've disconnected from repressed and had to hide in order to survive and reclaiming those parts. And that can, can be joy. That can be pleasure. That can be abundance. There's so many good things that we've tucked away in order to stay safe that we've learned through conditioning and and a part of this, this system from a collective level that also needs our attention. Yeah. Yeah. So when you work with women within Zura Health, it's both, it's both, it's, it's the physical and emotional journey. Do you guys, you and your sister, do you guys split that? Yeah. So Jess and I created the program together. Uh, It's a 16 week journey. It's, the first is all the first month is all about the foundation. So it is the basics. It's stress management, it's sleep, it's nutrition, it's movement, and it's getting really clear about what our intentions are uh, and how we want to feel and work backwards from that. And then month two and month three are all about mental and emotional well-being. 
So we dive right into belief systems. We dive into uh, uh, limiting beliefs and what we've made certain experiences in our lives mean about us and how that's kept us playing small or kept us safe and the types of coping mechanisms we've, we've learned over time, whether that's to become a perfectionist, to become a high achiever or the comedian or um, the nurturer or the caretaker. And, and then we move into the emotional aspects of health and well-being. And what does it mean to be, to have emotions and what emotions do we struggle with being with? How do we process emotions? How do we move through emotions and release them and really cultivating a much healthier and more empowered relationship with those emotions because emotions drive all behavior. Having a conversation about changing anything on the external without talking about emotions, I think is the most. Now I think it's like, that doesn't even make sense. People do things to feel a certain way. And if they don't know why they're doing something from an emotional standpoint, they're never going to change that behavior for the most part. It's not going to, it's going to be hard to create sustainable change if we don't understand what's driving the car and our emotions are driving the car. So the more we're connected and understand and aware of those emotions, the more aware and in control we become. And then we talk about financial well-being, pleasure, play, creativity, and really reconnecting with those elements that make us feel good. Yeah. And so that's a 16-week program. There's a weekly coaching call every single week with either Jess, I, or our other Zero Health coaches who are trained through us and also um, certified health coaches. So it's really just a community of other women creating a safe space for all of us to be acknowledged, witnessed, and heard. As you said, like there's so much healing in just that. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I was like, this podcast could be called like the responsibility podcast. Cause I do think that too is so hard in like, boy, if I have seen a negative uh, defensive reaction around taking ownership of our health problems mm. and relating them to our, you know, especially those of us who have struggled with <clears throat> chronic issues. Um, mm. I know for me, I mean, I spent years and years and years and years. It was like blaming everything I could possibly blame and taking every supplement I could possibly take to yeah. avoid actually doing the the scary work of being like, what part am I playing in this? And especially for women that are used to like the holistic health world, right? Like I had been like eating well and like treating my body really well for 10 years and I was still yeah. sick. And I just think that's, you know, I almost think that that's partially why we are all so sick right now. It's like that trauma and that grief being passed down through generations has gotten to the point of no return. And it's like, okay, you guys didn't figure it out. Like now we're going to break all your bodies so that you are like, it's the knock on the door. Um, oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt that that trauma and intergenerational trauma is coming up to be dealt with and the body is letting us all know. And I think it's important not to get stuck in shame around that. Some people think that and get stuck in even utilizing the stories of why they're not healing to shame themselves. And I'm like, wait a second. No, how can we have compassion for the body and still show up and support ourselves and be open to exploring other doors of healing? whether that's emotional healing or body work, like there's so many different modalities, but there's nothing wrong with you, right? The personal development or even wellness world right now is like, Oh, you need to fix this and you need to do this and you need to do that. And it's like, it's constantly keeping us still on the same rat wheel. 
And it's like, wait a second, if we just hit pause, and actually the, the hardest thing for most of us to do is to just sit, just be still, just be with every single part of you. And if you have challenges doing that, then find somebody who can support you in being still so that you feel safe enough to meet those parts of you that you've been running from for, the, for your whole life. Yeah. So to kind of wrap up a little bit, I know we kind of talked about all of this on the podcast, but for people who are really starting this journey and are kind of in the midst of the dark night of the soul, I'm happy that you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully that's a good resource. Um, But what are, what are some, and hearing Kylie talk, she's another great resource, but what are like, so like the top three kind of just like overarching general tips you would give like a stop, drop and roll type of a situation? Like, you're in this, like where, where to go, what to do. Um, what might you say? Stop, drop and roll. (laughs) First one, like literally commit to stillness. Yeah. Like at least 30 minutes a day. Uh, for me, what saved my life truly is journaling. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote and just processed everything that was coming up for me. And find your people, find your safe people, whether that's a mentor, whether that's a therapist, whether that's a coach, whether that's a shaman, I don't care who it is. Find somebody who can support you where you're at. Cause you do not have to do it all alone. I had a whole team of support staff, truly. <laughs> and, and I'm so grateful for those people, but I was also open and willing to seeking and being open to that next direction. And that's, that's imperative as well. Yeah. Yeah. People always ask me that question. Is openness, like, willingness to. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say, people always ask me that question. Like, what is your number one tip? And I'm like, uh, the willingness to do the work. <laughs> like, I don't know if it, you could, there's hundreds of ways that you can do this, but if you yeah. don't, if you're not willing to kind of take that step down off whatever kind of pedestal you've put yourself on and put yourself on a new pedestal, um, then it really Mm -hmm. doesn't work. Um, so yeah, I love that. Um, okay. So two last things, where can people find you? And then, uh, if you had to give, if you could give one book to everyone on the planet, what might that be? I feel like it's bad for you. Like when people have read a lot of books and I'm like the same, like, don't ask me those questions, but so just like we can take it with a grain of salt that there's a lot of good books, but what is one thing that pops into your mind? Oh my gosh. The one book. The first one that's coming up is emotional intimacy. Cool. I think I have that somewhere right behind me. Yeah. It's a really powerful <laughs> book to understand emotions. Uh, and people can find me on Instagram at being is beautiful. And also my personal website, www.kyliemcbeth.com. And also, if you're interested in joining the Zura Health 16 week journey, you can find us at www.zurahealth.co. Cool. Well, thank you so much again. Hopefully, we can uh, have this be an ongoing thing and keep chatting because this is really enjoyable. <laughs> I would love that. And thank you so much for your beautiful questions and for creating this container to have these conversations. It's, it's really beautiful work. So, I acknowledge you for that. Absolutely. Thank you. Hello again. Thanks for sticking around. I hope that means you enjoyed the show. It is so inspiring for me to be able to talk uh, about saving our world through the lens of taking ownership of ourselves. I think it can be really overwhelming sometimes when we think about making a difference in the world and how we don't really have that much power control. And I think doing internal work 
really provides us with a lot of insight on into how um, so much of this work actually is in our control. And so I hope that you um, got something from that discussion. If you liked the episode, definitely go check out Kylie's work. Um, please subscribe to this podcast, rate it, leave a review on iTunes, um, and don't forget to head over to patreon.com slash Anya Cates. Uh, to become a patron so you can get tons of perks and listen to my solo shows. The Colorado one is definitely not to be missed and many more to come in that respect. Um, the song I picked for today I think is quite appropriate for this time of year, all with Venus uh, retrograde finally coming to an end um, in just a few days with the leaves falling off the trees, with the weather getting cooler. It's certainly a time to turn inward and the song weaves the themes of relationships and love and death and grief together in such a beautiful poetic way that I thought it would be perfect to end this episode with. Some of my favorite lyrics from this song are, um, the leaves are not upset that they're leaving their branches. Things change, time passes, death happens, and what happened surely changed me. And the hereafter is full of sadness that is raw and also so sweet. Because every time a cold heart thaws, it sends a river of tears to nourish the ground to the way to the sea. And I just think that's so poignant and so beautiful. So the song is called A Eulogy for You and Me, and it's by Tanya Davis. Enjoy. See you next time. turn back soon the season is already changing we say goodbye for the final time my room needs rearranging the sidewalk is full of people and leaves and we're all turning colors i want more radiance and less green this season is my perfect lover long nights for more dreaming short days to feel real and fast sweaters for my heart safe keeping for my soul's heating to the cold and winter is gonna turn back soon I've an eye upon its fixtures the wall waits patiently for the sun's first rays and the day no one's there to witness we gave it a good go no I guess we can't exist in this so I'm gonna celebrate this new year with all the good witches little chocolate bars and for little kids I want a cauldron and the nourishment that comes with it this broke me down no I'm not fixed yet I broke myself open for this, made a space that you could fit in. And clocks and hearts and time keep going, but we didn't. The clock tick-tocks and I walk alone like I'm used to. I wanted to call your bones home, but I didn't get to Your shoulder stop over, and I guess I had to I was lonely from no love, and you showed me what it could do You showed me what I would do when I had some, but it is not to be with you And I've been sad enough, and I've been mad some, but what good does that do? The leaves are not upset that they're leaving their branches Things change, time passes, death happens and what happened surely changed me 
And the hereafter is full of sadness that is raw and also so sweet. Cause every time a cold heart thaws, it sends a river of tears to nourish the ground and the weight of the sea. Thank you.